welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Hey, Epiphany family. How you doing today? I was ended up recording for another event. Somebody asked me to do this event and one of our team was like, you want to use this for the church? Like, and I was thinking about it and I guess I was like, yeah, let's, let's just use this. I preached this before, but I feel like, like the first, the Sunday, the sermon of the first Sunday of the year that I, that I, that I do every now and then was one of those sermons that we need to rehear. And so I re-preached it. Um, and I want you to really dig in and deal with this because all of us in our life need to deal with this major issue. Get your notepads out. Let's get in prayer. Let's get ready. Let's dig in. Let's go. I, I, I love kind of the framework of this deeper worship uh, conference and some of the details of what I've been uh, t- told about what the conference is about, particularly the issues of spiritual disciplines. And so in order to dive into that, I think it's very important that believers know and understand the fundamentals and how to apply them. Uh, It's not enough to just be in the playbook. You got to know how to use the playbook. And so um, today our playbook lesson is going to come out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses uh, 3 through 6 and then Judges chapter 6 verses 11 through 25. I won't read all of those verses. I'll read some of them, but we'll deal with exegetically most of them. Let's uh, dig in. 2 Corinthians I'll just read 2 Corinthians and then we'll dig into Joshua later. It says, for although we live in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. I want to talk about for the time that we are together, how to break strongholds, how to break strongholds. Let's go before God, Lord. Strongholds are more than just having issues. Uh, We want to work through the discipline, God, of dealing with and challenging strongholds. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust in Jesus mighty name. Amen. How to break free from strongholds, how to break free from strongholds. I wrote a book a few years ago called unleashed. Matter of fact, our um, church is going through the curriculum right now. And one of the things that the framework of the book talks about is sanctification, how to, how to be unleashed in Christ in every area of life. And one of the things that a lot of believers don't realize is that spiritual growth is what God does to us, not what we do to ourselves. We're going to, we're going to see this very clearly because it's a very key thing. John 15 lets us know 
my father is the gardener. Jesus is the vine. Being him being the vine means that Jesus pumps nutrients into us like a vine does into whatever wildlife that it's connected to in order to make sure that the nutrients are available to help it grow. So growth is not your responsibility. <laughs> Some of y'all gonna miss this, but this is key. Growth isn't your responsibility. Um, it says God's the gardener. God the Father is the gardener. In other words, God the Father being the gardener, just like a gardener creates the environment. What does a gardener do? He creates the environment. He plants stuff. The gar a gardener or a female or male gardener, they, they, they create the environment for wildlife to grow, right? So the same is with us spiritually. God the Father facilitates the environment for us to grow. Jesus Christ gives us the nutrition to grow. So if you're saved, you're automatically connected to what it means to grow. You, growth is gonna happen. The question is now practically, on a practical level, uh, you, you have to connect with those mechanisms, listen to me family, that are Jesus's nutrient building systems to cause the growth that God has ordained for you to walk in. Now, now this is going to seem crazy because again, that's why the Bible says, even when it comes to salvation, one plants, one waters, but God adds the growth. <laughs> if the Bible says, uh, uh, be not deceived for God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that will he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you reap eternal life. So what the point of it is in both of those passages is that the Holy Spirit's job is when something's sown somewhere, when something's invested somewhere, you give him a way to use it as a mechanism of growth because you've connected to what grows you. It's our responsibility to connect with those things that grow us. It's God's responsibility in our lives to grow us. The question on the floor is not, is God gonna grow you? The question is, are you gonna connect with the mechanisms of growth? Now, what do strongholds have to do with that? This is very important. Strongholds, family, are what are called inhibitors. <laughs> inhibitors, inhibitors, things that get in the way of the flow of the nectar from Jesus for us to grow. And so as we come to this passage, to the gospel globetrotter himself, Paul, Paul is second, talking to 2 Corinthians. It is the most spiritually gifted church in the New Testament. I mean, they had prophets all over the place. They had tongue talkers all over the place. They had even interpreters of, 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 of the languages. And, and I mean, they, they, they saw miracles go. They saw so many things. But with all of the spiritual gifts, which we believe in the Holy Spirit moving power through prophetic words and through dreams, and through visions and and and, and 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 healings and miracles and all, all words of knowledge, words of wisdom. However, in the midst of all of that, with even the discernment of spirits, they were still locked into things. Listen, that inhibited their ability to grow, and Paul had to jam them up because their spiritual giftedness didn't affect their spiritual maturity. And so here, Paul is challenging the most spiritually impoverished church in the New Testament, which was actually the most naturally rich. 
and he talks to them about strongholds. Look at what he says. He says, For although we live in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. And so he says, you don't come to a spiritual fight with natural weapons. That, 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 that's key for us to recognize, family of God. We don't come to a spiritual fight with natural weapons. He says, the weapons of our warfare, I like the old translation, are not carnal, but divinely powered for the destruction of fortresses. So what, what are we seeing here? He's talking about weapons that are necessary to remove, listen, to remove what's in the way of you growing and maximizing your commitment to Jesus Christ. He says, but, we, but are powerful through God for the demolishing or the demolition of strongholds. What's a stronghold? He tells us right here. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought there it is there it is every thought captive so question on the floor is what is a stronghold most of us when we think of a stronghold we think of like he's 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 got a stronghold of Drugs. He's he got a drug stronghold. He has a he has a sex. She has a sex, or he has a sexual stronghold. They they, they got all these different types of strongholds. Those are sins, not strongholds. See what we <laughs> help me. They they're connected, but a little different. See a a stronghold isn't the thing you do. It's the mindset that it takes to do it. Oh, y'all not y'all. I, I can't even hear y'all through the screen right now. In other words, Paul says. We come against every thought. He didn't name a sin here. He named the thought that fuels the mindset and environment for sin to be executed. So, 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 so what does this mean? A stronghold is a mindset, a value system or thought process that hinders your growth. You need your notebooks out today. A stronghold is a mindset, value system, or thought process that hinders your ability to grow. One of the things that you need to recognize is that in our lives, we have what's called unbelieving belief systems. Okay? Uh, an unbelieving belief system is the, and we're going to get into this later when, when, when we deal with, 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 with the case study. This is the theology of the stronghold, and we're going to talk about the case study that has to do with the stronghold or when we get to Gideon's life and Judges. But, but when we look at the reality that this is a mindset, many of us, when, when we deal, I'll give you one example. When we're dealing with someone that's struggling with pornography, we tend to, we get covenant eyes and we start doing, we, we start doing all of these different things. But, but, but you can't, the, 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 those, those only work if you deal with the mindset. Listen, if I have a stronghold and I'm addicted to it, I'll figure out a way to do it. So what you have to, because you have to have a, not just, I got, I got this person I can call and all this accountability. Accountability is important. But at the end of the day, you have to have in you the want for the change to take place. And so what you have to first deal with is the mindset that, 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 that is behind what makes you think doing what you did was cool. So therefore, what the enemy will do to you is that, that's, that's why I like the way one writer says it. He said, most of us think of stronghold, strongholds as bondages such as sexual trespasses, drug addictions, alcoholism, 
outward sins we put at the top of a worst sins list. But Paul is referring here to something much worse than human measuring of sins. He says a stronghold is an accusation planted firmly in your mind. Satan establishes strongholds in people by implanting in their mind lies falsehoods, misconceptions, especially regarding God. And so what the enemy does is he implants in your mind. How does he implant in your mind? Through saying things, sowing death into your mind. Sowing death into your life about relationships. Sowing death into your mind about parenting. Sowing death into your life about God and what God is passionate about. Uh, and he wants to corrode and corrupt Everything in your life so that if he can get a foothold in your mind, he has a foothold to everything else in your life. And so a stronghold is letting demonic lives become your Bible. Ugh. Help me today, God. In other words, many of us don't know that we have these things in us. Um, but one of the things that I love about God, and we'll see that in the life of Gideon, is God loves us enough. God loves us enough to not let us stay in this state. Now, somebody say, well, what are some strongholds? I'll, I'll name top mindsets that we, many of us deal with. Many of us, we deny the impact of the past on the present. That's, that's one of the things that we do. We deny the impact of the past. We try to say, I'm just moving forward, but we haven't dealt with our past. Another, strong, another mindset is believing things will never change. Help me today. Individualism, all I need is me. I don't need to get with the body. I don't need to, that, that's, that's, that's a stronghold. Sexual deviance, not believing God created sex. Oh, that's a whole nother thing. So, so I got to follow the devil's path of sexuality because listen, God didn't create sex, so he doesn't want me to enjoy sex. So I got to do it the devil's way in order to enjoy it because God doesn't want me to enjoy it, even though he's the manufacturer of it. Ah, help me. Economic selfishness. You, you're, not, you're not a giver. You're not generous. Fear is a stronghold. Disappointment with God that's taken out on others. I, I can go on and on and on and on. But we come over here here to Judges 6. We come over here because this passage helps us to frame and really is a case study of how you work through and deal with strongholds. Look at verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord came and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah belonged to Joash the Abiezrite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, 
Hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. The Lord turned and said to him, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. And so you see the first thing that has to happen, family, in order that you may deal with your strongholds is number one, you must have an encounter with God. You have to have an encounter with God. And having an encounter with God can change everything. But one of the things I like about this encounter that Gideon has with God is it's not initiated by Gideon. See, some encounters with God, matter of fact, some of the most disruptive and best encounters that you have with God are the ones where you didn't, the atmosphere wasn't set, the band wasn't playing the certain keys and melodies that, 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 that people get in the spirit and get chills under their spine and tears in their eyes and hands lifted. Some encounters aren't ushered in by the greatest singer. Some encounters with God is just, in, it's just God loving you enough to disrupt your life even though you you weren't looking for him. He was looking for you. I love the fact that God came after Gideon. Gideon didn't come after God. Those are the best encounters with God. <laughs> and so here in the text, it tells us the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak. And Gideon didn't see the Holy Spirit, the, the, I mean, the God of heaven. Didn't see him there. In other words, we know that God is omnipresent. However, sometimes he sends us a microdose of his dwelling presence. And we believe that this is the pre-incarnate Christ because he comes in a physical form. A whole nother uh, ideology when we frame out our Christology. Don't have time to break it all down. Fundamentals of the faith type stuff. You understand what I'm saying? But, 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 but here, Christ in his pre-incarnate way cloaks his presence in a physical pre-Mary's bosom form and comes to the planet. We'll see later that it's, that it's God, it's Yahweh uh, 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 that, 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 that came to him. And he sits and he watches him function in his stronghold. How do I know he's in a stronghold? Because we'll see. We'll see here. It says he was, he said he was under the, the, the tree, the oak of Ophrah, which belonged to the Joash, the Abiezrite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine. So it's his dad's tree. And he was threshing wheat under the wine press. That, that's, that's pretty weird. Why would that be weird? The reason why that is extremely weird is because you would not thresh wheat by a wine press. You would thresh wheat out at the threshing floor so that the wind can separate the wheat from the chafe. But Gideon, Gideon here, this is crazy. Gideon went to the wine press because of the Midianites. Why is he hiding it from the Midianites? Because Israel was doing what was right in their own eyes. J Judges 17, 6, I believe says, right? And, and, and because they were doing right in their own eyes, God kept, there was no structure, no leadership in Israel. 
And so God would utilize their enemies as a mechanism of discipline to show them that they, listen, they were not doing what they were supposed to do because they were not able to overcome their enemies and they were getting overshadowed by it because of their disobedience of God. In other words, God was spiritually disciplining them. Whenever we go through a stronghold and we're living in a stronghold, God loves us enough to discipline us, but enough not to leave us in our discipline. And so as he's disciplining the children of Israel, instead of repenting, he creates a stronghold. He says, he said, I'm going to, because whenever a stronghold is in your life, oh God, I got to, I got to take my time through this. Whenever a stronghold is in your life, you know that you have a stronghold when you start using stuff that didn't have one purpose for another purpose. That's called dysfunction. He became dysfunctional, the fact that he was stretching wheat out at the wine press. Why is this important? Because this showed him that utilizing and, and, and threshing wheat at the wine press became normal for him, not abnormal, because he got used to living under this vantage of not living under God's perfect will, but his permissive will. And you know you're in a stronghold when you have functional dysfunction. Now, usually... <laughs> Functional dysfunction, functional dysfunction is when you are a mess and you've created an environment for your dysfunction, but you don't know that you're dysfunctional anymore because your dysfunction has become your new normal. All right, let me make it plain. My wife and I um, used to watch this show called Hoarders. We used to watch Hoarders. I don't know if you've ever seen that. And man, one time... This they went over to the hoarder people went over to this older lady's house and her daughter was really, really concerned. My mom, she's like, look, my mom, you know, I want to get her out of here. I want to I want to work on this. And da, 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 da. she's talking all this about what she want to do for her mom. And her, and her mom had basically just kept bringing things in the house. And she had stuff in the bedroom, stuff in the closet, mess in the bathroom, mess in the kitchen, uh, the garages and even the backyard. I mean, her entire surroundings looked like an entire junkyard. And she had about 80 cats in the house. And. And as they went to the house, I mean, the people are walking, you know, there's a walkway to the house, there's bushes here. And as they walk into the, uh, through the yard to the house, they, they're looking around like, oh my gosh. And they're looking, they're looking at the windows and you can already see how bad the house is just looking at the windows because you can see stuff piled up in there like the house had become a storage chamber for trash and mess. Then all of a sudden, in the midst of all that was going on in that particular situation, uh, they knock on the door and they have the cameras out and the mom comes to the door. And when the mom comes to the door, she comes to the door, not in distress, but chilling. She opens the door and listen, when the funk came out of the house, when she opened the door, the cameraman, everybody was backing up because of how bad it smelled. But what was crazy about the whole situation, family, is that the mother was chilling and couldn't smell the smell anymore. Someone would say, how in the world can you be in such a mess and that mess doesn't bother you? How? Easy. When you've been around your mess so long, 
And when you've been around your stench so long, it's hard to smell it as funky. It becomes a part of your environment and your nostrils and your eyes and your heart. Everything around you, listen, adjusts, adjusts to the dysfunction in it. And you begin to learn how to find stuff even in a trash. You ever find, know somebody that they have a mess and they know what stuff is still? That's how you, I mean, they still know. I mean, I mean, a trash pile becomes a cabinet, if you will. You know, I mean, that's, that's what many strongholds has done to many of our lives. Many of us are functioning badly. Many of us are in dysfunctional relationships. And we become functional in these abusive relationships, verbally abusive relationships, physically abusive relationships, emotionally abusive relationships. And some of us are in places where we're allowing our children to be in dysfunctional environments. And we're allowing our need for relationship get in the way of our own safety. There are so many strongholds in our lives, dysfunctional relationships, dysfunctional job atmosphere, dysfunctional uh, 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 self-development. I mean, all different types of dysfunction around us. But what happens is, as many of us, see, you know you're dysfunctional when people talk about your dysfunction uh, behind your back and they can't talk about your dysfunction to you because when you talk about, when your dysfunction is engaged that you should, you should see as dysfunction, you get defensive. And so God and Gideon encounters God. And what I like though about this passage is that God loves us enough. This is how much he loves us. He loves us enough to not let our hoarding of our strongholds be an obstacle for his love. Look at the text. It says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. I, I mean, family. How in the world does a man who's hiding from his enemies gets called a mighty man of valor? I'll tell you how. Because first off, God doesn't encourage you to come out of your stronghold with sin. He encourages you to come out of your stronghold by voicing his purpose for you so that his purpose for you in you and through you can motivate you to come and live beyond where you are. Help me today. And so what, what he does is he calls him uh, Eshichayel uh, in the Hebrew. It's, it's a word that means like, like you, you know, oh, mighty man of valor. Uh, a mighty warrior, a uh, 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 mighty hero, if you will. It, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, in other words, he calls him a fighter, even though he's not fighting. He's hiding because God's purpose for him is to eventually become a judge and help lead Israel as a fighter. One chapter later, in a few days, he's going to be a fighter. Right now, he's a disobedient sucker. That's filled with sin and a stronghold, but God doesn't merely keep him where he is. Eshachayil is the same word used for woman of worth and is used of, of, of Boaz in, in the book of, uh, uh, of Ruth. In other words, this is a high level language. Now, Eshachayil is also used of David's mighty men of valor. Um, it's of some of the, I mean, this is not, the, you know, they, they probably had, a, you know, a half a million troops at one time in Israel back then, right? But it's not the general half a million. The Ashil Chayil 
are like the Green Beret type dudes. You understand what I'm saying? Navy SEALs. You know, these cats come in with like five to ten dudes, you know, a snub nose is on them. You know, coming in, you know, hot with stuff all on them, gear all on it. They come in, ta -ta -ta -ta, coming in like that. You know, they come in against 10,000 people and act like, and just start taking cats out. And they don't know where the fire is coming from. God's calling him a special ops agent in the kingdom, even though he's acting like a plum sucker. Listen, God always sees in you more than you see in yourself, even when you're bound by your stronghold. God always sees more in you than you see in yourself. That's what he specializes in. Huh? You know, God, God, God is God is like. But what's crazy about this is when you look at if I were going into a fight, I wouldn't pick Gideon. Not me. Not me. But God is a, is weird. Let me, and I'm saying this respectfully. God is the worst, the worst chooser of people on the planet. God never, ever picks. In man's eyes, God doesn't make good picks. I mean, if we were playing a pickup game and God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit came on ahead to pick up two players, they, you know, when I would come to the court and we would look out on the basketball court and we're looking at the players on the court, we're looking, we, we, we want to play a pickup game and we need a couple more people. We're watching whoever's playing in the game and so whoever loses, we pick them up as the best players because if we're playing make it, take it, we want to stay on the court as long as possible, right? Not God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit come out there. You know, God the Father, you know, God the Son dribbling. And, 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 you know, looking around and God, the son said, pops, go ahead and choose who you want to be on the team. He going to choose some dude just messing with his phone, been out there for a long time, never get picked. Maybe even came with somebody, not even a real player, young lady over there that's doing her nails or something or, or, or just over there just watching the game. He'll choose the people that don't know how to play the game to be on the team. The reason why God does that, God is the worst picker of people. And all of a sudden you get in the game and the person got skilled because God is a bad talent scout. But God is, is a bad talent scout, not because he doesn't know how to choose people. It's because he doesn't look at what people have to bring to the table. He never looks at what you have to bring to the table because anything you bring to the table is what he gave you to bring to the table. So God puts you on his team. And what he does is he gives you gifts. He doesn't look for your gifts. When he puts you on the team, he doesn't look for a jersey. He gives you a jersey when he puts you on the team he gives you skills he's not looking for skills and when because when when when, when you get on God's team as a person that is the least and 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 and, and, and the less and, and, and the person that God wouldn't choose and people see God using you they will be like wow they'll know that it wasn't of you but it was of him so God God gets glory out of picking people that nobody else would pick and many times in our strongholds, we're not the best pickable people. <laughs> we're not. We're not. And so in dealing with your strongholds, you got to recognize that you can't merely look at yourself. You got to look at him. I mean, think about Jesus' picking. Jesus wasn't good at picking people. How, you, how do we know? Because among the disciples, he picked religious skeptics, shady businessmen, shady government worker. Hebrew fundamentalist, a thief, a radical Jew, mama's boy, spoiled rich kids, a prostitute, a healed outcast, legalistic people, licentious people, all to represent him. Think about the disciples. He picked some of the worst people. I mean, even they were like, people were like, them? 
But when you look at how the world changed through them, you don't even see what they were anymore. <laughs> when God changes your life, nobody will ever see what you were, what you were again. They'll never see your stronghold again because of the way that God came in and he encountered you and you encountered him. And he begins to come in ferociously for his glory to change your life. That's what I love about our king is that our king forces us to deal with our strongholds, but in doing it, he encourages us and beckons us to come out of our stronghold. And look what he says. He says, and Gideon, in verse 13, it says, Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Here's his strongholds. His strongholds. See, God wants to sit down and talk to you to show you where your strongholds are. Why has the, why is all this happening to us? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, has the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. It's funny. Everything he just said, they got themselves into, but they're blaming God for it. One of the things that's interesting is we'll get ourselves into a mess and we'll dig our own hole and be mad at God because we dug our own hole, acting like he's the one that motivated the whole trip that you're on. When in essence, it was our disposition and our rebellion and our disobedience that put us in that situation. And God is saying, nah, bruh. But look, I like the way God ignores him. See, so the Lord said to him, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I like that. You know what I like about that is God doesn't let your strongholds get in the way of his calling on your life. He doesn't let your strongholds get in the way of his commitment to use you. Because what he's going to do in your life and what he's going to put in your life and what he's going to change in your life is going to be of massive importance. And so what he does is he he sees you in light of him being in you, not you being alone in you doing what he called you to do. That's very important for us to recognize. And then it says, the Lord turned to him and said, go into strength. And then verse 15, it says, he said to him, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? We're the weakest. My family is the weakest in, in, the, in Manasseh. And I am the youngest. God, see how God chooses? God, God seems to not choose well. But God gets more glory <laughs> out of choosing people that are the least. Now look what happens. And we're going to start landing from here. He says in verse 14, but I will be with you. You will strike down Midian as one man. In other words, I will make this look like a lot of people did it, but it will, but it will, I will, I will strike them down as one man. It'll be like you're only fighting one person with an army. And of course, later on in the text, we see that Jesus shows himself. Yahweh shows who he is. And as he shows who he is and he realized, oh, this is God in verses 16 to verse 22. He realized the angel of the Lord is with him. And so he's like, oh, if I'd have known this was the angel of the Lord, I'd have acted differently. And then he has this moment where he realized he had an encounter with God. Many of us get excited about the encounter, but God has encounters with purpose. And so what ends up happening is, is God allowed Gideon to enjoy his presence, 
But then there's a time where you can't just soak in his presence. You got to do something about the encounter that you had. Look, look at what it says. It says in verse 25, it said, on that very night, the Lord said to him, look at what he says. Take your father's young bull and a second bull seven years old and tear down the altar of Baal that belong, belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. So in other words, he had to go back to his daddy's house and deal with some stuff. <laughs> some of your stuff is in your family's house that you got to deal with family. And what he says is he says, I want you to use a bull. He said, I want you to tear down the strongholds, the because they're good strongholds and they're bad strongholds. We're going to see in a second. He said, I want you to tear down what was, I want you to go back to the central place where this stronghold is and tear down what's causing all of the mess in your, in Israel to happen and in your life. Sometimes God, God wants you to go back and trace back to that place in childhood where somebody said something to you that's affected the way you think about everything. Some of you will have to revisit that time you were molested by a family member or a close family friend and your mama knew about it and nobody did anything about it and that's when you got bitter and that's when you, the person that got raped, the person that got frustrated, the person that got uh, uh, beat up, the person that got neglected, the person that got microaggressed together. All of those things that happen to you can either make a mark where you draw near to God or you draw, or the enemy uses it as a foothold to lie to you about God so that you can have an unbelieving belief system that causes you to develop an idol altar in your life that you don't realize is the way you make every single decision. That's why you got to heal from stuff in your life. That's why you got to work through stuff in your life. Because some of y'all got some hurt in your life where every one of your decisions flow from that place of pain. And he told him, go back. He said, tear it down right now. That's what I say to you right now in the spirit right now. Tear it down. <laughs> tear down your anger. Tear down your bitterness. Tear down your unbelief. Tear down your hatred. Tear down your unforgiveness. But why? Because unforgiveness is fermented anger. That's what bitterness is. Bitterness is fermented anger. Unrighteous anger that's been left in a refrigerator with it being unplugged and it begins to sour and to ferment. Gideon goes and does it. He tears it down. The, the, uh, 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 pull, pull, uh, tear down and cut up. The idea is pull it up at its root. Ugh. You can't just cut it high. You got to go into the deep things. You got to go into the deep things and uproot the thing out because if you just cut it in a certain place it can regrow you have to cut it at its some stuff stuff in your life you got to cut the stronghold down by its root if you don't learn how to cut it down by its root it'll regrow look at what it says here one of the things i like about god is the same place where the pain happens, he wants to be bring healing and stability and sustainability. Look at what the text says. Build a well-constructed altar to the Lord your God on top of its mound. In other words, in the place where you built the stronghold, I want you to build an altar there to the Lord. What is why, what, what does an altar represent? An altar is a tabernacle, is a, is a micro tabernacle of God's presence. How do you do that in your life now? Where well, the Bible says, 
But in, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and skeneod and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten of the father, full of greatness and truth. What does skeneod mean? It means the tabernacle. Jesus Christ became the first prototype of a human tabernacle that it would not be an altar. It would not be uh, 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 the tent of meeting. It would not be the Salmonic temple or the second temple. It would be, he said, tear down this temple and build it up in three days. His body became the temple. Now he became the prototype. How do we know he's the prototype for God? being among humans as us being tabernacles because over in first uh, Corinthians it says you are a temple not the temple but a temple of the spirit so now you're a tabernacle of God's presence and because you're a tabernacle of God's presence you can't let your a stronghold use you as a tabernacle for Satan's presence you're supposed to now be redeemed to be a tabernacle of God's presence and God is saying now that he wants you to functionally set aside 2 Peter 3.15 1 Peter 3.15 set aside Christ as Lord in your heart how do you do that? When you remove that unbelieving belief system, you put a word in your soul in the place of that in order that you could have right belief about God so that truth can flow through you and to you, through you and to you. And now the vine can now pump the nutrients. Remember in the beginning, he can pump the nutrients into your soul that's necessary for you to grow. But you got to put the word there. The Holy Spirit doesn't put the Bible in your spirit. You have to put it there. Why? Because he says, I will bring back to your remembrance all those things you've taught. If you don't bring, if you don't put it in you, the spirit can't bring it back to your remembrance. I, 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 I don't know why we would want to ever live our lives in bondage ever again when God has so much for us. God has more for you than you can ever imagine. God has more destiny for you more purpose for you, more ministry for you, more opportunity for you, more relationship for you, more life for you, more change for you, more mountains to climb, more valleys to go through, more growth for you, more opportunity for you, more changed lives to go get, more, 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 more places in the kingdom to conquer. He's got too much for you to do for you to stay in the same place. Why do you want to stay there? And you're going to get discouraged. You're going to have to fight through some stuff. Tearing down strongholds many times is not a one-time occurrence, though. It's a multifaceted occurrence. <laughs> you got to keep doing it. I'm going to land here. Look at what it says in these verses. It says, he built a well-constructed altar to the Lord. Your God on top of the mound, take the second bull and offer it. He rededicated it. Verse 27. So Gideon took 10 of his male servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his father's family, the men of the city to do it in daytime, he did it at night. Verse 28. When the men of the city got up in the morning, they found Baal's altar torn down and a Asherah pole beside it cut down. And the second bull offered up on the altar they had been built. They saw, they said to each other, who did this after they made a thorough investigation? They said, Gideon, the son of Joash did it. And then the men of the city said, bring your son out. He must die. So they wanted to kill him because he got rid of the stronghold that was affecting everybody. Let me tell you something. Everybody will not be happy that you free. When 
you get free, the people that were symbionts with you, that were leeches on the same stronghold, when you remove it, if you were the central hub for the stronghold, they're going to get mad. When people, when you're somebody, some of you are people, somebody's stronghold. When you get rid of letting yourself be used by the enemy in negative ways, people are going to be happy. And you got to be ready for war. You got to be ready for spiritual war. Every head bow, every eye closed. Maybe you're here under the sound of my voice and you're in a stronghold. I want you to lift your hands where you are. I'm closing out now. God is calling you. God is calling you to deal with your stronghold right there where you're sitting. You can stand. You can get on your knees. You can lift your hands. But I want to pray for you. But if you don't know Jesus as Savior, you want to put your confidence in him. You want to go from spiritual disconnection to spiritual connection. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and you can go from spiritual death to spiritual life. What he did on the cross paid for the sins of the world. Paid for your sins. And if you trust in what he did on the cross, he'll take you from spiritual disconnection to spiritual connection. Is that you? If you say yes to Jesus, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I believe in my, I, I believe in my heart and I confess in my mouth that God raised you from the dead and you died on the cross for my sins. Take me and connect me to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that, we pray that and you put your heart and your confidence in Christ. Salvation is yours. Connect with a local community where you are. But for those who are, who, who are believers who are dealing with strongholds, I want to pray for you right now. My time is limited. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for those that are dealing with strongholds now and that need to come out of them. God, I pray that you would give. Some people don't even know what stronghold. They, they, some people may be under the sound of my voice and I know that I'm in a stronghold. I just don't know what it is. I don't know where it is. Help, help it to be revealed to them. Transform and change them. Break shackles and bonds in their life. And we speak peace to them, Lord God. In Jesus' name, we pray that you would uproot every, every thought and help them to take it captive and help them to put truth there so they can obey Jesus. God, we're trusting you and believing you that they're going to walk in newness of life and walk in freedom and be fortified in godly ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And amen. The night that Jesus was betrayed, communion time family, he took the bread. There it is. And he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you for the forgiveness of sins. Let us eat together. After the Passover meal, he took the cup, he held it up and said, this is my blood, blood of the new and everlasting covenant, which was shed for you and for many for the removal or remission of sins. Let us drink together. God bless you. Take care. See you next time. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.